Today's podcast has been brought to you by Green Shoe Studio. Not a lot, and I know that there's like a conspiracy behind it, but honestly, that's about it. I honestly think it was his wife because he was having an affair. I think the mafia and the vice president were in on it together. Like, I think I remember it in high school, like hearing that it was like the mafia. I think it was the government. They had something to do with it. Oh, like, like years ago, right? I've never actually like thought about it. Honestly, I don't know. Well, I think it was I the last thing. Yeah, yeah. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Somewhat Skeptical, where we explore the odd, the obscure, and the unexplainable. My name is Elizabeth. And like the people you just heard, we all have our own opinions on that controversial 5.6 seconds in our nation's history. Hooray for Hollywood, where you're terrific if you're even. Good. Where anyone at all. We interrupt this program to bring you a special bulletin from ABC Radio. It is believed now that, uh, Don, you better read this. All first. right, right. Ladies and gentlemen, to add to this bulletin from Dallas, Texas. There is a possibility that the president, Mr. John F. Kennedy, has been seriously wounded. Here is some more information that is just coming in. It says President Kennedy was shot today just as his motorcade left downtown Dallas. Okay, let's just take a second and think about this. This was just an ordinary day for those two radio hosts. They were playing some Doris Day, talking about the weather and whatever else they talked about in 1963. But their day, and frankly everyone else's, came to a screeching halt with just one piece of paper. I can't imagine being in their shoes. I don't know if you noticed, but the man who received the news first couldn't even muster up the courage to deliver it to the world. Let's listen again. It is believed now that, uh, Don, you better read this. All right, right. And honestly, I don't blame him. Mrs. Kennedy jumped up and grabbed Mr. Kennedy. She cried, oh no, the motorcade then sped on. Now the UPI story, United Press International says that both President Kennedy and Texas Governor John Connolly, they were traveling in an open automobile, were hit by the bullets today in Dallas. This episode is going to be a lot of detail and a lot of facts, so let's just bite the bullet, no pun intended, and dive into it. A light rain was falling on the morning of Friday, November 22, 1963. A crowd of several thousand stood in the parking lot outside of the Texas hotel where the Kennedys had spent the night. A platform was set up and the president, wearing no protection against the weather, came out to make some brief remarks. Ladies and gentlemen, I proudly present... The President 
of the United States. The warmth of the audience's response could be felt when the president reached out to shake hands with his sea of supporters. Back inside the hotel, the president spoke at a breakfast of the Fort Worth Chamber of Commerce, focusing on military preparedness. We are still the keystone and the arch of freedom, and I think we will continue to do as we have done in our past, our duty, and uh, the people of Texas will be in the lead. So I'm glad to come. The presidential party left the hotel and rode by motorcade to the Carswell Air Force Base for the 13-minute flight to Dallas. Kennedy's trip to Dallas was very important. He was trying to unite the Democratic Party. He was meeting with the vice president and the governor of Texas. Basically, he was trying to get reelected. The president and Mrs. Kennedy disembarked and walked towards a fence where the crowd of well-wishers gathered, eagerly awaiting their chance to shake hands with the president and show their support. The procession left the airport and traveled along a 10-mile route that wound through downtown Dallas on the way to the trademark, where the president was scheduled to speak at a luncheon. Crowds of excited people lined taking pictures and home movies and waving to the Kennedys as they passed. The car turned off Main Street at Daly Plaza around 12.30. As it was passing the Texas School Book Depository, three gunshots were heard. Bullets struck the president's neck and head as he slumped over towards Mrs. Kennedy. And critically wounded, perhaps fatally, by an assassin's bullet, and took the president directly to Parkland Memorial Hospital. There is no word yet from uh, the surgical groom of the hospital as to uh, Mr. Kennedy's condition. That's a late report from Dallas. Here's a late report. It says that the president, his limp body cradled in the arms of his wife, rushed into Parkland Hospital. The governor of Texas, John Connolly, also taken to Parkland. And Clint Hill, a Secret Service agent assigned to Mrs. Kennedy, said, and I quote, he is dead. That is what Clint Hill, a Secret Service agent assigned to Mrs. Mrs. Kennedy, said today, he is dead. The doctors did what they could. Priests were called. The last rites of the Catholic Church were given to President Kennedy. As the priests came out of the emergency room, they said, the President of the United States is dead. The events that transpired over the next 24 hours are crucial to the story. So here are the details of the alleged shooter. At 12.45, about 15 minutes after the assassination, Officer J.D. Tippett of the Dallas Police was ordered to move to the Central Oak Cliff area near the concentration of police around the center of the city. At 12.54, he radioed that he had moved. By this time, several messages had been broadcast describing the suspect in the Kennedy assassination. A slender, white male in his early 30s, 5'10", about 165 pounds. Lee Harvey Oswald fit this description. At about 1.11, Tippett pulled alongside Oswald. Oswald walked over to Tippett's car, and Tippett opened his door and walked toward the front of the car. 
He calmly crawled out of this car, slow motion, and uh, he started around to the front of the car. And just as he got even with the front wheel on that on the driver's side, this man shot him three times in the wink of your eye. And then he he turned and he was fooling with this gun and he came back down Tenth uh, Street to, toward me. And he saw me. He stopped. And he looked at me, I looked at him. And he was furious. His eyes were big, and of course mine were too. I put my hands above my face like this, real tight, closed my eyes, and I stood there. And then I opened my fingers, opened my eyes, and gradually pulled him down. Well, I don't know what happened to him, but he, he uh, just went off in a little trot across the vacant lot out here. And then the police came. They take me down to the city hall. And of course they got statements. And then I identified him in the lineup. Just to reiterate, Oswald walked over to Tippett's car. Tippett opened his door and walked toward the front of the car. Words were exchanged, and Oswald pulled his handgun and fired three shots rapidly. All three bullets hit Tippett in the chest. Oswald then walked up to Tippett's fallen body and fired a fourth shot directly into his right temple. Oswald was later arrested after acting suspicious by appearing nervous as police sirens neared him and he ducked into the Texas theater without buying a ticket. He was apprehended by police around 2 o'clock. Oswald was charged with the murder of Officer Tippett. On November 23rd, he was charged with the assassination of President Kennedy. I really don't know what, what the situation is about. Nobody has told me anything. except that I'm accused of... Uh of uh, murdering a policeman. I know nothing more than that, and I do request uh, for someone to come forward to give me uh, a legal assistance. Did you kill the president? No, I've not been charged with that. In fact, nobody has said that to me yet. Uh, the first thing I heard about it was when the newspaper reporters in the hall uh, asked me that question. You have been. Nobody said what? Sir? You have been. Nobody said what? I would love to hear the rest of this interview. The last thing we can hear him saying is that he was hit by a cop, and I have no idea where it goes from there. There was no continuation of this interview. That was it. That was the last thing I could find that Lee Harvey Oswald ever said. But to me, what's most interesting is that when most people are accused of a crime, they deny it, at least at first anyway. But he said he didn't even know what he was being charged with until just earlier out in the hall when another reporter had mentioned it. This raises some serious questions as to what he really even knew. Vice President Lyndon Johnson, who was three cars behind President Kennedy, was sworn in as the 36th President of the United States at 2.39 p.m. He took the presidential oath of office aboard Air Force One as it sat on the Dallas Love Field airport runway. The swearing-in was witnessed by 30 people, including Jacqueline Kennedy, who was still wearing clothes stained with her husband's blood. Two days after the assassination, on Sunday morning, November 24th, Oswald was scheduled to be transferred from police headquarters to the county jail. 
Viewers across America watching the live television coverage suddenly saw a man aim a pistol and fire at point-blank range. The assailant was identified as Jack Ruby, a local nightclub owner. Oswald died two hours later at Parkland Hospital. As for Ruby, he was convicted of first-degree murder on February 17, 1964, and sentenced to death. Two years later, his conviction was overturned. Before a new trial could begin, Ruby died of cancer on January 3, 1967. Now let's go back to 1963. In speculation that Oswald was part of a greater plot, Lyndon B. Johnson appointed Supreme Court Chief Justice Earl Warren to investigate and create a report that would be known as the Warren Commission. November 22nd, President John Fitzgerald Kennedy was shot to death in full view of hundreds of spectators watching him in a Dallas, Texas motorcade. 48 hours later, the man Dallas police said shot the president, Lee Harvey Oswald, was himself killed by Jack Ruby in full view of millions of Americans watching television. This bizarre sequence of double killings raised great questions. Who actually fired the shots that killed Kennedy? Why did Ruby shoot Oswald? Was there a conspiracy? Were right-wingers involved? Was it a Russian plot, a Cuban plot? The new president, Lyndon Johnson, ordered these questions answered. He appointed a commission of seven prominent Americans to investigate the whole affair. He literally drafted Supreme Court Justice Earl Warren as chairman. This committee labored 10 months, took testimony from hundreds of witnesses, then brought forth a document close to a thousand pages. The report is signed by Earl Warren, Chief Justice of the United States. The Warren Commission was an 888-page report containing 552 witnesses' testimonies all taken within the 10 months following the assassination. According to the Warren Commission's findings, Lee Harvey Oswald fired three shots at President John F. Kennedy. The second and third shots he fired struck the president. The third shot he fired killed the president. Here are the facts about those three shots. And when I say facts, imagine me putting air quotes around them. The shots that struck the president were fired from the sixth floor window of the southeast corner of the Texas School Book Depository building. And here's what's connecting Oswald to the murder. Lee Harvey Oswald owned the rifle that was used to fire the shots. The marks on the bullets matched the marks in Oswald's rifle, and those markings matching each other are about as damning as fingerprints. And Lee Harvey Oswald, shortly before the assassination, had access to and was present on the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Depository building. He worked there. Most people who believe there is a conspiracy either think Lee Harvey Oswald was framed, or at the very least, he didn't act alone. In a poll conducted November 22nd to November 27th, 1963, less than a week after the shooting, over 52% of people polled believe others were involved, and Lee Harvey didn't act alone. Today, over 50 years later, that number has just grown. Over 61% still believe there were others involved in the assassination. I'd like to give some background on one of the key players in this story. Sure, we all know the name, Lee Harvey Oswald, but who was he? 
If he did, in fact, pull the trigger, why? Oswald was born on October 18, 1939 in New Orleans. His father died of a heart attack two months before he was born. Following her husband's death, Marguerite Oswald sent Lee and his two older brothers to live in an orphanage. A few years later, she remarried and eventually brought her children back to live with her in Bronx, New York. With his mother working long shifts, the young Oswald was often left to fend for himself, spending time at the library while developing a habit of playing hooky from his eighth grade classes. He was eventually picked up and placed in a detention hall where a social worker described him as emotionally detached, giving off the feeling of a kid that nobody gave a darn about, a theme which would continue throughout his entire life. Eventually, Marguerite and Oswald moved back to New Orleans, and Oswald was very interested in socialist literature, and he became interested in communism when he was in the ninth grade as well. He began reading library books on the subject. In 1956, Oswald was 17 and still in the 10th grade. However, he was finally old enough to join the Marines. He signed up for a three-year tour of duty. He was considered a loner. He didn't get along with his fellow Marines. He had several altercations with his superiors, and he eventually ended his military career three months early by applying for a hardship discharge to take care of his mother. While in the military, Oswald openly expressed his views on communism and taught himself Russian. Oswald told his brother, communism was the wave of the future. After finishing his three-year tour of duty, Oswald was expected to spend three more years as an inactive reserve. He was not allowed to travel abroad during this time without good reason, so he applied to a liberal arts college in Switzerland. He lied on his application and was accepted. This allowed him to apply for a passport. Upon leaving the Marines, Oswald traveled to Europe, and eventually he ended up in Moscow. Once in Russia, he contacted Richard E. Snyder, the United States consul, to renounce his United States citizenship. He publicly made anti-American statements and applied for Soviet citizenship. The Russian government didn't trust Oswald, and they denied him citizenship. However, he was given an apartment and a job at the Belorussian radio and television factory in Minsk. In a little over a year, Oswald began to realize that the life in the Soviet Union wasn't really what he expected and it wasn't living up to his communist ideals. In February 1961, he contacted Richard Snyder again and expressed his desire to return to the United States. A month later, Oswald met his future wife, Marina Prusakova. The couple married on April 30, 1961 and had two daughters. When he returned to the U.S., he started the New Orleans branch of the Fair Play for Cuba Committee, or the FPCC, a pro-Castro organization that argued for free trade and improved diplomatic relationships between the United States and Cuba. Oswald tried to establish himself publicly as pro-Cuban. In September 1963, he traveled alone to Mexico City and applied for both Cuban and Soviet citizenships. When both governments refused him, Oswald moved his family back to Dallas, Texas. Upon arriving in Texas, Oswald assumed the name O.H. Lee. An acquaintance helped him get a job at the Texas School Book Depository, which, coincidentally, is where they think the president was shot from. As you can tell from all the details, he was clearly looking for something in his life. He thought he'd find it in Minsk, Cuba, Texas, and New Orleans, but he never did. When Oswald's life ended, so did the search for the truth behind what happened on that infamous day. 
He was never able to explain his behavior or motivation. The public was never able to compare and contrast Oswald's story with the findings of the Warren Commission. Since Oswald never had an opportunity and never will have an opportunity to tell his story, there's a lot of speculations as to his motive for possibly killing the president. Some believe that he was disgruntled with society in general, and Kennedy was the key representative of that society. Others say he was upset by his inability to travel to Cuba, which he blamed on the politics of the Kennedy administration. Still, others contend that Oswald wanted to make his mark on history and immortalize himself. But all of these arguments assume that Oswald planned and executed the murder by himself. So if not Oswald, then who? Well, we're probably never going to know the answer to that, and we could spend six months going into every single theory that there is on this subject, and we still wouldn't even get through it. So I'm going to go into just a little detail on some of the most popular conspiracies. One is that the Soviets had something to do with it. There are two main pieces of evidence supporting this theory. First, the U.S. and the Soviet Union were in the middle of the Cold War. It's possible that Soviet Premier Nikita Khrushchev was so embarrassed by having to back down after the Cuban Missile Crisis that he ordered the hit on Kennedy. The other piece of compelling evidence is that Lee Harvey Oswald had connections to the USSR, or the Union of Soviet Socialist Republic. Both the Warren Commission and the House Committee of Assassinations found little evidence to support a Soviet-backed operation. The next three theories have a lot to do with the failed Bay of Pigs invasion. So for those of you who don't know, here's exactly what happened with Kennedy's biggest failure. When Kennedy entered the office, he was an advocate of a stronger line against Fidel Castro's Cuba. Castro had been a concern to the U.S. policymakers since he seized power in Cuba with a revolution in January 1959. His attacks on the U.S. companies and interests in Cuba, his inflammatory anti-American rhetoric, and Cuba's movement toward a closer relationship with the Soviet Union led U.S. officials to conclude that the Cuban leader was a threat to U.S. interests in the Western Hemisphere. In March of 1960, Eisenhower ordered the CIA to train and arm a force of Cuban exiles for an armed attack on Cuba. John F. Kennedy inherited this program when he became president in 1961. Many of his military advisors said that attacking Cuba had little chance for success, but even still, Kennedy gave the go-ahead for the attack. On April 17, 1961, around 1,200 exiles armed with American weapons and using American landing crafts waded ashore at the Bay of Pigs in Cuba. The hope was that the exile force would serve as kind of a rallying point for the Cuban citizenry who would rise up and overthrow Castro's government. The plan immediately fell apart. The landing force met unexpectedly rapid counterattacks from Castro's military. The tiny Cuban air force sank the exile ship's supplies. The U.S. refrained from providing necessary air support and the expected uprising never happened. Over 100 of the attackers were killed and more than 1,100 were captured. Kennedy tried to redeem himself publicly by accepting blame for the attack and its subsequent failure, but the botched mission left the president looking incapable. 
the mafia. We know that the CIA had contacts with organized crime families to discuss the assassination of the president of Cuba. The mob was heavily invested in Cuba before Castro's communist revolution. As I just said, Kennedy really botched the Bay of Pigs invasion. And with that, any hopes of American organized crime returning to Cuba ended. And that really got to the mafia. More than that, the mob had issues with Kennedy's younger brother, Attorney General Robert Kennedy, who, on a side note, was later assassinated. They hoped the younger brother would lose his influence if his brother was killed. A lot of supporters of this theory look at Jack Ruby. Remember the guy that shot Oswald? He had known mafia connections. The Warren Commission cleared the mafia from any involvement in any, quote, plot, end quote. The House Committee on Assassinations found that the mafia wasn't involved in any conspiracy, but they didn't rule out that individuals with mob ties were part of the plot. After the Bay of Pigs invasion, Kennedy privately blamed the CIA and obtained the resignation of longtime director Alan Dooley's. He also implemented NSAM 55, transferring control of paramilitary operations to the Defense Department. Many CIA officers and Cuban exiles blamed Kennedy for failing to support the operation, and in particular, canceling a planned second set of airstrikes that could have saved some of them. Maybe if they didn't see him fit to make decisions for our country, they decided to do something about that. Tying in with this, there's a theory that suggests Oswald was a CIA operative and agents tampered with his FBI file before and after the investigation to make it appear that he was a communist lone wolf. And once again, obviously we see a pattern here. The House Select Committee on Assassinations found that there was no indication that Oswald, quote, had ever had any contact with the agency, end quote. And here we are, over 50 years later, left with nothing but questions. I can speculate all I want, but it won't make a difference. All we have is a shaky, low-quality video of the assassination, the testimonies of some witnesses, which, as we all know, can be extremely unreliable, and what the government says happened. Does that leave you somewhat skeptical? Tune in next time as we discuss the conspiracy of a lifetime that only lasted 5.6 seconds the single bullet theory, and a possible second shooter. Today's podcast has been brought to you by Green Shoe Studio.